0: Welcome to the Cotton Info Weather Podcast. I'm Janine Powell.
1: And I'm John Welsh.
0: Unfortunately, we don't hear that sweet sound of rain on the roof enough.
1: In today's podcast, we'll be discussing just what's happening with our climate and this year's winter crop.
0: With one of the driest summers on record... We've only got a few pockets of moisture around. I'm out at Burren Junction and on our farm we've planted on some pretty marginal moisture. Look, it has been great weather for the small cotton harvest, for anybody who actually had some water left for cotton. Right now there seems to be a bit of an unusual and complex climate situation evolving. The El Nino is weakening, which is somewhat unorthodox at this time of year. We have a dry phase of the Indian Ocean developing and there's also other climate factors that still seem to be influencing our climate such as localised high pressure systems. Cotton Info Climate, Technical Lead and my Ag Econ partner John Welsh can give you some background on what we've been through and what we can expect as cotton growers are now deciding whether or not to plant a winter crop.
1: Yes, thanks Janine and looking back at the summer crop from last year The Madden-Julian Oscillation was active early and October and November did start in quite promising shape for moisture. We did have one to two hundred mils of planting rains which still didn't wet up most of the soils but there certainly was enough activity for for growers to plant on the hope that their soil moisture deficits would be compensated for with in-crop rain through the year. The monsoon was officially late last year which Yeah, which did actually filter down in terms of cyclones to more northern areas, but unfortunately not right down into the mid-latitudes. So with the MJO active through the year, it was unlike the 2013-14 really severe summer when the MJO wasn't active at all. So that was encouraging to see it active, but we have been really held to ransom by localised high-pressure systems out in the Tasman Sea that have been sitting higher than they normally would and that has led to hot air being trapped in a ridge pretty much from high-pressure system at the south of off Victoria and one sort of further up the Tasman Sea, just creating a ridge and pooling of really hot air coming down out of the red centre and, and across the desert, leading to heat waves. And, and really we have been stuck in that pattern through the summer again, which is certainly not what people were hoping would happen. And I guess the failure of, of monsoonal rains in the mid-latitudes this year is, is probably the main feature of this year's winter cropping outlook.
0: So we're coming into the winter crop, 2019, we've had a dry summer, we've got marginal or low moisture profiles. What is going on with these mid-latitudes? Is it related to the heat waves?
1: Absolutely it is. The, the, the story of the mid-latitudes, and it's a source of frustration for, for many farmers I'm sure, is that why are our summer rains failing? And it is due to high pressure systems in that Tasman Sea area or Tasman Sea blocking, as the scientists refer to, and the positions of those highs that just keep the hotter air trapped and the, the dual effect of, of the hot air being trapped and the tropical moisture being unable to, to find its way further south. We did see some tropical activity in the north with good rains coming right down through central Queensland, desert areas in the southeast corner, you know, running into lake air, etc. But the, the air pressure systems, just the way that they were set up just didn't allow for that, that moisture to track further south where it was needed to, to summer cropping areas.
0: Look, it's all a bit of deja vu, isn't it, for those in the cotton regions? We're starting off winter crop again with less than ideal moisture. What is the difference this year with the outlook compared to previous years?
1: Well, that's a good question. We've just come off the back of two pretty tough winter cropping seasons and two pretty, pretty tough summer cropping seasons. Looking at 2017 when there was terrific rainfall in March and April to get the crops away and then we had record heat and a dry finish to that season. Last year looking back we had an El Nino sort of theme and flavour right through the year and low starting soil moisture again. We had an Indian Ocean dipole condition that was, was kind of neutral but yet you know, we had one of the lowest rainfall years on record in that particular year and very low winter crops. Grain became scarce so fast forward now to 2019 and we have again had a failed monsoon to top up stored soil moisture in in most regions in the cotton industry and we have an ENSO situation that's been on again off again El Nino. That looks more settled now to to more neutral-ish conditions. The Indian Ocean Dipole neutral has recently surged towards more positive phase, which positive phase is actually dry, not actually positive for Australian cotton growers and farmers in general. So even before we look at a forecast map, just knowing that the two primary drivers of our soft season climate and winter crop, we can expect below average rainfall sort of for the southern half of New South Wales. And for those growers north of central New South Wales, you would expect possibly more average conditions due to that neutral ENSO phase we're predicted to go into.
0: Changing across to some models, we take a lot of notice of the Bureau, of course, but are there any trends with other models for this coming winter season?
1: So as part of the Cotton Info Moisture Manager, we do survey a range of different models. Uh, There are seven or eight different research agencies around the world that we do summarise in a table in that e-news and looking through the, the results, the Bureau's model is the most bearish of those seven or eight models. So that's saying uh, with a more emphatic view that we are going into a drier winter season. Uh, the other models, the other international models are saying that you know, we could get one dry month of the three, but those are generally not as pessimistic on our winter season as the Bureau's model. So I guess we need to view that in context and the Bureau's seasonal outlook will capture most of the the rural media headlines about this coming season but in context of the other information sources I guess we would expect it to be a little drier than average and we hope that it doesn't become as extreme as possibly the Bureau's predicting.
0: Can you pinpoint some years where there has been a positive or dry Indian Ocean dipole in combination with a neutral ENSO situation?
1: Yes, there are a few years when this has happened, and this is a bit unusual. As history has shown, the Indian Ocean dipole and the ENSO state pretty much work together 50% of the time. So that is when the Indian Ocean is in dry or positive phase, the ENSO situation or the ENSO state will be in El Nino, and vice versa. So there is connectivity between the two moisture sources.
0: Look, fifty percent of the times a bit sit on the fence. You think you're gonna to have to expand about that on that a little bit?
1: So look they are connected via ocean currents flowing through or between the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean through Indonesia, but the science the scientists do refer to that area as the maritime continent. As for the atmospheric conditions, there are a few signature positions for high pressure systems. But generally the transport systems that bring northwest cloud bands are pointing in the wrong direction, which means the moisture sources coming from the north are, are just facing the wrong way, basically, or are sort of to the contrary of where we need them to be.
0: So that's the cloud coming across the red centre, something that we really look to and rely on for winter crops. So we have an Indian Ocean, which is cold, and that means there's going to be less moisture.
1: Well, yes. I mean, people used to track the cloud cover in the Bay of Bengal near India years ago, long before we knew about the Indian Ocean Dipole, you know, and the old rule of thumb that there was three weeks after storms way up there near the subcontinent in the Bay of Bengal, and that would filter down across eastern Australia and, and wet crops, in, you know, in our region.
0: Well, how clear is the science about the Indian Ocean Dipole? Clearly, we've moved past the old black and white fax satellite images
1: This is a really interesting topic when we compare Indian Ocean Dipole research with ENSO research. ENSO research um, has been established for quite a while. McBride and Nichols back in 1983 established the correlations between Australian rainfall and the Pacific Ocean and it wasn't until 1999 that the Japanese researchers at the University of Tokyo published a paper on the Indian Ocean Dipole and its effect on climate. Now it wasn't until 10 years later in 2009, after much debate through the scientific community, that this was generally accepted as being an independent source. So prior to that it was thought that the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean were were very much connected and they were one and the same. So To finally take 10 years to recognise that the Indian Ocean Dipole was a standalone source, it could be then plugged into computer modelling and dynamical forecasting models as an index and weighted accordingly to geographic regions. So the research is, is really interesting and it's actually quite new when we look at other climate research. And as we go and gather data, I think the science will become a little bit more settled. It is a more erratic index than the Enso, SOI, or or Niño Sea Surface Temperature Region, for example. Uh, And we don't have the monitoring in the Indian Ocean that we do and the luxury of the historical data that we had in the Pacific Ocean just simply because the way the research has evolved and the information sources that, that have been used historically over time.
0: So John, you called it erratic, but how accurate are the predictions for the Indian Ocean?
1: Well if we go back to 2016 and we look at the negative Indian Ocean dipole which was the really wet phase we had. We had flooding through the Macquarie and further south through Forbes through the Lachlan Valley and the Murrumbidgee. That record wetting or record warming of the waters on the eastern side of the basin it was known that we were going to have a strong event but picking up a record event in that year, they didn't really know until probably a month out that that was going to be a really strong event. So it took a lot of people by surprise. So the modelling does have a way to go. At the moment, we can be quite assured that the life cycle of the Indian Ocean has started. It's quite aligned with our Australian winter crop and we can be pretty sure at this stage of its life cycle that the science is is reasonably accurate. And there is quite an emphatic signal that we will be in dry phase this year. Six or seven of the global models are are fairly showing consensus on positive or dry phase for that Indian Ocean dipole this year.
0: Let's bring it back to 2019 winter season. Where does that leave us with the model predictions?
1: So the Indian Ocean dipole life cycle is... Pretty well perfectly aligned to our east coast winter crop. So that is, it starts about now, which is when most crops are being planted, and the Indian Ocean dipole has influence right through till October, November when it cuts out. And when that cuts out, the whole basin across the Indian Ocean warms, and that's when its influence is reduced. So right now, where we stand at the moment, the IOD has crept up into a dry phase thresholds as we speak. So we can have a, a quite a deal of confidence as that life cycle starts that, you know, we're going into a dry phase as opposed to, say, two to three months ago when we still had quite a bit of variability in the models. We think that at the moment that source is quite settled, adding a little bit of certainty into into the forecast.
0: Right. Well, there's a fair bit of science in all of this. So let's simplify it. Can you remember last winter cropping year when there was a positive or dry Indian Ocean And a neutral Enzo condition?
1: Yeah, so the most recent one, which hopefully we can remember, is 2012, which is not too far back at least. I remember in that year we had floods in the summer season of 2011-2012, a drier autumn, and then we did get really good planting rains through April and May, and lots and lots of crop went in on the back of good soil moisture. And then the Indian Ocean Dipole did, when its season of influence did commence, in the winter and spring months we did have a run of frost and particularly dry weather through the, the period in the winter crop when we do need rain the most. So not throughout the whole east coast but certainly 2012 gives us some sort of an idea as an analogue year as to, to what that condition brings when we have an ENSO neutral state and an Indian Ocean dipole positive phase. Analogue years are handy but very seldom do do we have two years that are pretty much exactly the same. That said though, there's more research now than in 2012, so confidence levels are a lot higher than they were 10 to 15 years ago.
0: So obviously a bit of a clear difference between 2012, there was wet summer, plenty of moisture, but what we're talking about here is, John, is this correct, that in 2012 there essentially wasn't in-crop winter rainfall?
1: In that situation, plant-available water was quite good off the back of a a monsoon that did actually deliver rain for most eastern Australian grain and cotton areas. And then, yes, we did see clear skies, stable air pressure and and a run of frost through July, August and September in that year. So that was quite a signature event for Indian Ocean dipole positive phase in in that year.
0: Not so positive for those wanting to plant winter crops.
1: (laughs) Yes, quite ironic that it's called positive phase, but it's not actually positive for farmers.
0: Well, Luckily, the Indian Ocean Dipole is not the only driver. There is plenty of complex factors going on here throughout the season and with climate, obviously. The neutral Enzo piece, what does that actually mean in simple terms? I mean, it does still have an El Nino flavour to it, doesn't it?
1: Yes, so I think it's important not to get confused with neutral Enzo with average. Uh, that's for sure and yes you're right it does have an el nino kind of flavor to it this year we aren't in el nino thresholds but yes the warming of the central pacific is in an area where it is close to el nino so in simple terms enso neutral events mean that random weather events just reset to more balanced odds so anything can really happen in these years But just given the context with the Indian Ocean dipole being in positive phase this year, so areas further north of, say, the Macquarie Valley that are less affected by dry conditions of the Indian Ocean, they will be still sort of in a geographical area where random events such as east coast lows can still come in and and keep their climatology to to average levels without having the burden of of Indian Ocean dipole positive phase and, and convective processes sort of being in the wrong spot.
0: So that's what all the optimistic farmers are hoping for that are still planting?
1: Absolutely and it's funny to recount the 2015 El Nino scenario from three or four years ago when the flag went up from the Bureau of Meteorology that were in El Nino state in April and we had three or four east coast lows, Uh, one came in off the Macquarie and wet the Macquarie Valley and similarly with the Border Rivers and the Darling Downs. Those events are completely unrelated to to ENSO or IOD And, and most people were sort of saying in that 2015 year El Nino is fantastic let's let's have them all the time so these are the random events that can still occur and it just goes to show how complex the the climate situation is for our winter crop
0: well that's another piece of the puzzle it's the random variability for those out of the indian ocean dipole footprint well knowing that how do farmers say in the namoy and north deal with this when they're looking to plant or plan
1: well janine i guess On a positive note, there is no clear signal in those geographies further north of the Macquarie that they are necessarily on a conveyor belt to drought, which I mean, I guess is a glass half full scenario. And in this situation where we're exposed to random variability. We think that technology can certainly help in decision making to some extent.
0: Well technology doesn't have a great track record with weather though does it? I mean models have been all over the place in these rain events recently. Aren't we better off with Gary's weatherstone? You know the rock is wet so we can expect rain or it just did did rain, you know, swinging rock means it's windy?
1: Yeah, yeah I know. When the models fail, it's, it's pretty easy to become the, the whipping boy. And uh, believe me, I get reminded about it wherever I go when the, when the models fail and uh, things don't pan out quite as technology uh, tells us it's going to. But if we look at the seasonal model, now this is the, the three-monthly timescale on a one-month lead. We think these are quite accurate this time of year and and certainly we think they can aid in decision-making for winter crop through winter and spring.
0: So what you're saying is there are times of the year when these models might have better form. Even though they come out every month, you're saying they're more accurate now?
1: This is the really hard thing with climate science. The modellers do modelling for a living and they can't wait to push out their forecast no matter what time of the year it is. They can't very well go on holidays for five months and come back and say, oh yeah, we're starting forecasting again. But during the winter and spring when the big picture drivers are settled, which we've just covered, then yes, they certainly are worth understanding and including into farm management decisions. Some of the grower groups we work with consistently over the last three or four years have seen the form we've had and actually changed practices for winter crop. For example, some farmers in the lower NMI didn't plant a crop last year that normally operate strictly off the calendar and do things by month and last year we certainly did see some changes. But summer crop is a whole different story dealing with the, the monsoon and probably a yarn for another day.
0: Look, we mentioned technology before, so not just seasonal models. What are some of these tools that could help?
1: Just because ENSO is in neutral range for more northern areas doesn't mean we're back to average. So like I mentioned, the random variability is greater now that things are reset back to neutral. The other bits of technology that can help are multi-week and weather models, of course. If you use all these three together for winter crop, then it can certainly help with expectations of what may lie ahead in terms of rainfall and temperature.
0: Look, it's all sounding pretty complex. The models are displaying things differently. There's so many different websites. One could be forgiven that this sounds like a fool's paradise for anyone unsuspecting.
1: Well, it can be, and drifting in and out of any sort of technology is hard, you know, if you're not in it all the time. I use my accounting or cotton reporting software twice a year or once a quarter and I'm certainly not confident doing anything in those systems. And I guess climate models and weather models are, are the same. If you want to really get the hang of technology and manage your risk, you have to work at it and, and try and better understand the information sources you're dealing with. So there are some cotton growers and advisors in the in the industry that have fantastic climate literacy. And once they've made that investment and educated themselves, they can simply top up with decision-making at certain times of the year, like planting or, or picking.
0: So, wrapping up... How do you see this winter cropping season playing out and where are the really useful places to find technology that can help for those that are time poor?
1: Yeah, well, I guess it's different for me because this is my job and I'm naturally interested in climate. So I would find a good crop model and a business decision support system and and put some starting values in for my fields on my farm or my business and then run it through the model. At least this will give a cold, hard view in some cases of with some science behind the initial predictive result. Starting conditions are not ideal at the moment and probabilities suggest that you know, this drought should break by now. You know We've been in this pattern seemingly for, for three or four years and if you take out 2016 when the Indian Ocean dipole was in wet phase, this pattern we're in seems to have probably gone on for seven years now. So we emotionally we probably think that good times should be just around the corner. As far as finding the tools, there are a range of different webinars and YouTubes on the Cotton Info webpage.
0: Okay, so from this, I know we've got some clarity on the Indian Ocean Dipole, but if you could think of any other practical considerations for those looking to capitalise on a winter crop in 2019, what would they be?
1: One of the more interesting bits of research on climate and Australian wheat production was a paper released back in 2016 looking at the Indian Ocean Dipole and ENSO conditions on Australia's entire wheat yield going back as far as 1980. So this research statistically normalised yield and production data to account for technology and uh, minimum till etc and starting soil conditions. So The Japanese researchers found that the Indian Ocean Dipole accounted for around 28% of the nation's grain yield due to that, the value of that soft season rainfall and temperature variation. So, knowing this and also being aware of the science, then you would have to think grain and seed will once again become scarce in 2020, looking forward, uh, right across the Australian eastern seaboard. Not to say there won't be opportunities in some regions to grow, you know, hopefully reasonable or average crops, but the areas west of the Liverpool range. Trangy, Warren and south to the Murray River will probably have a short season with frost and heat starting early in spring. The transport systems and circulation patterns really don't look like supporting these areas in terms of rainfall for this year's winter crop. But hopefully if they can see something coming, you know they can minimise their downside to their businesses and let's hope that east coast lows can, uh, can occur and, and really bring some decent rains and, and wet what is a very parched um, east, east coast at the moment.
0: Well, as you know, farmers are eternally optimistic. I think that's what they're going to be holding out for, the east coast lows. Look, that wraps up the podcast. For anybody looking for further resources, you can visit the Cotton Info website and you'll find some plenty of weather webinar recordings. We have YouTubes and there's also a lot more information about weather and climate models. You can also find a host of information on the Ag Econ website on our publications page.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Janine.